0: Hello, my people, before we get started on today's podcast, I want to give a thank you to everyone thus far who has subscribed or followed the Angel of Words podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is you're getting your podcast content. We appreciate it. Now, that being said, if this is your first time or you have forgotten to click on that notification bell, hit that subscribe button. Like, comment, please do so. And don't be shy to share with your friends because we make these podcasts to motivate and inspire you. Everyone has a story. Everyone has had to overcome some kind of adversity. And my purpose is to bring their stories to you. No matter your age, no matter your sexual orientation, your reads, your your creed, your color. What you think about yourself, you are worthy. And here at the Angel of Worst podcast, we want to make sure that you have something to listen to, something to view that'll make you feel a little bit better about yourself and make you feel like you're not out there alone, struggling alone with whatever it is that is going through your life. Now, that being said, today... On the Angel of Words podcast, we have emergency room physician assistant Rebecca Vasquez coming to drop the knowledge, coming to let us know how she feels about the whole coronavirus pandemic being behind enemy lines on deck on the Angel of Words podcast. Hello and welcome to the Angel of Words podcast and today we have Rebecca Vasquez, emergency medicine physician assistant at St. Jude's Round Rock Hospital out in the Austin, Texas area and a true patriot who is not afraid to wear her mask because it is like the AR-15 of this war that we're fighting against this invisible enemy. How you doing Rebecca? How's everything? Thank you for your time. I'm
1: doing great. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Well, it's good to have you here. Um, You know, uh, there's a lot of things going on, especially out where you are in Texas, you know. uh, when you see people, you know, uh, when you see the, the state opening up amidst rising Corona cases, does it give someone uh, such as yourself that's in the medical field uh, of anxiety? Like, you know, how does that make you feel when you see that things aren't really truly contained and, you know, everything's uh, trying to kind of going back to normal?
1: Yes, absolutely. It is very, very anxious uh, with this whole reopening all over the place. I feel like we've definitely been doing this way too early and we still have a lot of sick people coming into the emergency room, Uh, definitely continued spread of the virus. And so it's really just terrifying to see things start to reopen because I think it's just going to end up making this so much worse for us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're talking about a second wave and things of that nature. And from, you know, some of the the, the research that I've been doing, I mean, Texas seems to be a little bit understaffed when it comes to physicians. Does that make your job as a physician's assistant, uh, you know, a little tougher?
1: So, in all honesty, we haven't been hit as hard in Austin, Texas, compared to some of the other places like Houston and Dallas. Um, so the numbers aren't as bad here. So it's a very strange thing in our emergency room right now. The overall volume that we normally see because of the unfortunate state of you know medical care in this country, a lot of people utilize the emergency room as their primary care doctor's office. So there's a large majority of people that we normally see on a regular basis in the emergency room that you know things that you would think somebody would just go to see their primary care doctor for and so because of you know this huge scare with the virus being out there our overall volume has significantly decreased and so we're seeing many way less people than what we normally see but the people that are in the emergency room are truly sick very very sick um, and require you know a lot of care so it's It's a very strange dynamic that's going on in the emergency room. Definitely nothing like what, you know, the healthcare providers are dealing with in New York City. I've been talking to a lot of my colleagues that I've worked with in the past in New York City, and what they've been experiencing is, you know, just completely opposite, with just nonstop having, you know, the volume just completely full and just nowhere to put anybody.
0: Now you just you just you spoke about the healthcare system. I mean, it seems to be broken here in the United States. You know, it's you know we weren't really ready for this. Like, how do you feel as a medical professional with this kind of healthcare system? Do you you know do you feel like there should be a better way?
1: Yes, absolutely. You know, I I don't know what the answer is. I know it's extremely hard. You know, for many many different people to afford healthcare but you know there's definitely got to be better options than what we have available here for people to get the care that they need you know they just don't have access to what they need and even if you know people are coming into the emergency room with the coronavirus but they don't require admission to the hospital you know luckily their oxygen levels are stable and they're not that sick sometimes people are having challenges even just being able to afford you know, over-the-counter Tylenol and ibuprofen to keep their fever down or to, you know, get cough medication, things like that, just to be able to help manage their symptoms at home. So it definitely makes it extremely hard with, you know, not having good access to health care.
0: Now, now, you guys, like, are, are are you considering a short? You know, I mean, are you experiencing a shortage of PPE? Do you have all the equipment, all the hospital beds, all the ventilators, to to you know to handle uh, a second wave in case it happened? Because I know what you said it's it's not as crazy as it is in uh, in other locations, but you still have to be ready for that just in case it were to happen. All
1: right. So as of right now, we still have bed availability and ventilators available, but the PPE has definitely been a big struggle because, unfortunately, you know, New York City was hit very, very hard, and talking openly about the lack of PPE, all of the hospitals, numerous hospitals around the country just gathered up all of their PPE and locked it away from the entire hospital, and now it's like being rationed out little by little. And we have to be able to tell our supervisors exactly why we need it and who we're going to see versus being able to just have 24-7, you know, good protection, regardless of who's walking through the door. And the terrifying thing about this virus is that you just have no idea who has it. I mean, not everybody walking through the door says, I'm short of breath and I have cough and I have fever. There's a lot of people walking through the door saying, I have chest pain or I have abdominal pain or just other complaints that you don't always necessarily think of a viral respiratory illness. And next thing you know, they said, oh, yeah, well, I've also had a cough, too, and I feel short of breath and I've had a fever and you don't have proper protection on, you know, walking into that room and examining the person. So it's been a weird challenge where we do have PPE but we're just not being given proper protection when we need it 24/7.
0: And it's crazy because I noticed some places are wearing like you know like uh things that look like rompers they cover your whole body and then I see other locations where like you know flimsy tablecloth type of like you know um uh gowns it, I mean that must be very frustrating as a as a medical professional.
1: Yeah, we have very thin plastic, you know, tablecloth-type gowns that we wear. Um, but, I mean, really, in all honesty, the most important thing to protect yourself against the virus is to cover, you know, what we call mucous membrane areas. So your mouth, your nose, your eyes, those are the, the you know, entryways, the portal ways uh, around your face of how the virus can get into your body through the mucous membrane. And so the big issue of, you know, why they always talk about washing our hands is because of the amount of times that we take our hands and touch our face throughout the day. Um, So, I mean, you don't necessarily have to have your entire body covered head to toe when you're taking care of these patients. Um, Having, you know, a thin plastic gown on is really just to prevent it from getting all over your clothes where you would then later on potentially touch your clothes and then touch your face. Um, but the most important thing is keeping your hands covered, washing your hands, but then making sure that all of the areas of your face are protected. You know, with a full face shield, and then a mask with a complete seal around your face.
0: Now, Rebecca could you describe you know the the process of you know could you said people don't even know that they're coming in you know, and have coronavirus you know the, is you know the symptoms there you know you, you you obviously know the symptoms that people are supposed to show and tell you they, they're coming in you know not telling you these things but you could you could you actually elaborate on the process of treating a coronavirus patient right now like from like you know from square one so it's
1: definitely been an experience that I have never encountered before in the last 12 years of my career with any other illness. It's just such a wide variety of symptoms. You could see somebody who really doesn't look sick at all, but just says that they've had a sore throat or a cough for one or two days and they test positive. And people keep talking about different age ranges, but From what I have seen, the age range really doesn't matter. I've seen people in their 60s and 70s, you know, look fine, not that sick, and have coronavirus and have maybe sore throat, cough, headache for a day or two. And then I've seen people in their 30s and 40s not being able to breathe. And we check their oxygen level, you know, your normal oxygen level should be anywhere above 92, 93%. And their oxygen levels are in the 80s or 70s. And so... We have to try to quickly screen these people to see if they have signs of what we call respiratory distress, if they're having trouble breathing and if their oxygen level is, you know, less than 90 percent. And so as soon as that's identified, then we have to get them into a closed room. And we start off with trying to just put like this non-rebreather face mask on them and giving them you know, oxygen levels that really, you know, four, five, six liters. Um, but then if that doesn't work, that's, you know, when we end up having to intubate them and put them on ventilator machines. But the, the scary part about that whole process is that normally this virus is spread by, you know, con- like respiratory droplet contact. So the whole six feet apart is because if somebody coughs or sneezes that you know those respiratory particles can't travel greater than six feet Um, or if somebody wipes their nose or their mouth and then touches a surface that then you touch then you touch your face you know that's how it can be spread but when you're treating somebody in the hospital and you put them on what we call high flow oxygen or if you give them a breathing treatment to try to help them breathe that aerosolizes the virus so it makes the viral particles kind of travel in the air or oh, like almost, linger in the air like a yeah like a, almost like tornado wind around them so then you have viral particles that are kind of catching a wave of you know air being pushed around the room and so that makes it you know much easier to contract the virus if you're in the same room as that person you know doing a breathing treatment or high flow oxygen or the process of intubation the process of putting them on the ventilators And so they've tried to develop new protocols on how to put this um, plastic bag completely over the person's face while you're trying to put them on a ventilator machine, just to try to give you some kind of a shield in between the patient and your face um, to try to decrease risk of transmission.
0: So you guys are literally learning on the fly right now. So this is like insane. Yes.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, we have seen similar things um, in terms of, you know, SARS infection, and there's lots of different strands of the coronavirus that we deal with on a regular basis, but just, you know, not never to this volume, to this extent. And the rapid onset of when somebody starts to feel sick to when all of a sudden they really have trouble breathing and they can't breathe on their own, they need to be on a machine. It just happens so quickly with this virus. I've never seen anything like that before.
0: Wow. That sounds intense. Jesus Christ. And, you know, that's, I mean, social distancing is important then. I mean, we really shouldn't be congregating until, like, things really, like, and until so the contact tracing is done and people can really uh, see, you know, who might have been in contact with, who, who's not in contact with it with it and it's you know it's very disconcerting that you know the economy is taking precedent over public health and uh it, it's worrisome because that's putting you you, you guys at risk um it, you know it, it, it's putting a stress on the healthcare system and I mean I I mean do you even get a chance to like rest I mean I, I mean I know that you said it's it's uh less less of a population you know where you are but still you never know you could be called somewhere else because they may need you you know
1: so I'm definitely, I am not been, you know, exhausted to the point um, anywhere near New York City healthcare providers. Um, so, I mean, we are definitely getting chances to rest. We have, you know, plenty of staff right now to where we're not having to pick up extra shifts or cover extra hours. But if we don't social distance, that will definitely change for everybody. I mean, social distancing is so important in order for us to, you know, get rid of this virus without, you know, killing thousands and thousands of more people. Um, And it ends up, you know, hurting the economy so much more if we open things up way too early and this virus starts to spread around again and getting, you know, that second wave. I mean, it's just going to be exhausting for everybody, you know, economically and all of the healthcare providers. But I mean, luckily right now, I've definitely been in a good position to where, you know, I'm working my shifts, getting through things, being able to get home and spend time with my family. And, you know, it's it's been okay. I've just been worried about all of the providers in New York City because I feel like they have been exhausted beyond a point i
0: can't even imagine yeah i know i mean you know they have been it's been it's been crazy over here i mean I, as of today we've had 231 deaths you know i mean that it's subsiding but you know it's still nuts but the, another thing that's nuts rebecca that i've been hearing is something called pediatric multi-system inflammatory syndrome that seems to be affecting yeah. you know the, the younger population um and it's, it's apparently it's due to coronavirus. I mean, have you seen any of that? We have 64 cases here in New York. Have you Have you heard about that or anything? Could, do you know anything about that?
1: Yeah, so we have heard of a few different cases um, in the area, and that was definitely you know a big concern in the beginning when they just kept talking about how this virus is only affecting mainly the elderly population. Because it just doesn't make any sense. Viruses don't follow any rules. There's no virus in the world that is only going to affect one particular age group or one particular, you know, subset of patients. I mean, the, you know, any virus can infect any human host at any time. And so it's just a matter of time before you actually start seeing those cases reported and start seeing the damaging effects and especially, you know, There is people of all ages that are immunocompromised. But, um, you know, when kids are under the age of 90 days, they have absolutely no immune system. You know, their immune system is still trying to develop. And so if a virus hits a baby like that, it can be completely devastating. But we're starting to see more and more cases now. And even just, you know, pediatric populations that are a few months old to a few years old, and that's the, the really strange thing about this virus is that it, one person can have such minimal symptoms and not even really realize that they're sick, and the next person can you know die within a few hours or a day or two of contracting the virus. It, it's just such a wide variety of symptoms that it's, it's really just terrifying, which is why we have to social distance to try to keep everybody safe because everybody is at risk, not just the elderly.
0: Yeah. You know, and and when you hear people say, oh, everyone dies, you know, uh, you know, at some point, you know, it's uh, it's undermining everything that you stand for. You know, you you went to school, you know, you bust your hump to be part of this, uh, to to be part of this medical world, you know, and this society to help people, to help people get better. And then, you know, when you hear people say these kind of things, it's like, what am I doing this for? Like, I mean, how stressful must that be on you? It's so
1: frustrating. I was watching the news and watching people protest about wanting to you know reopen economy again, and they had these signs saying, "Sacrifice the weak." And it's just so frustrating because it's not the weak. The people that are dying are not weak. I mean, there's no rhyme or reason as to why one person gets detrimentally ill and one person has minimal symptoms. I've seen people with no medical history. They don't have any, you know, compromised immune system, and they end up having to be on a ventilator, and yet, you know, I've seen people in their 60s and 70s who do have a history of high blood pressure and diabetes and high cholesterol, and, you know, they're sick for a few days, but then they clear the virus. So there's, you know, it's not weakness if you get severely ill from the virus, and the fact that... People are just being just so ignorant about this and just lack of care of humanity. It's just it blows me away. I just cannot believe it. And I feel like they would definitely be singing a different tune if it was, you know, their friend or family member.
0: And and that's the thing. This is a lottery. You know, and it could be your friend, your family member, you know, your your, your spouse. It could be anyone. And, you know, people won't even they don't even want to wear masks. They're letting people go outside and they don't even want to wear masks, at least to protect each other while, while they're allowed to hang out within six feet of space. It's just mind boggling. You know, and I really have to, you know, thank people like you who, who are seeing these things and are still being so professional about the way you're doing things, because I feel like people are listening more to conspiracy theorists. And like, you know, I saw something where like they're burning down cell phone towers because apparently the coronavirus came from uh, from five uh, from 5G radiation, but they won't wear a mask. It is really disconcerting the the the, the, the humane yeah. uh, the the lack of humanity that people you know are 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 relaying in the public right now you know it, it's sad and I want to go to uh, you know one more thing about the corona situation and what, what what you've been noticing what are some of the treatment plans for people that are, go out of recovery because you know. You get it, but then you also have to take care of yourself. Like, what are you telling people that are actually uh, surviving uh, uh, about the virus and how to take care of themselves?
1: So if they're not sick enough to require hospitalization, <clears throat> the, the main treatment is really just managing fever and staying hydrated. So you just, your body will use up all of its, electrolytes and fluid with trying to, you know, use all your immune system cells to fight off infection. And so you have to drink lots and lots of water, manage your fever with Tylenol and Motrin because fever drives the majority of the symptoms. It drives your headache, your body aches, you know, feeling really weak and tired and fatigued to where you can't even get up to get to your refrigerator to get a glass of water. Um, If you take Tylenol or Motrin to get your fever down, then you at least feel well enough to try to get up and move around and keep yourself hydrated. So those are the most important things. Um, In terms of, like, treatment for the hospitalized patients, it's still such a learning process. I mean, at the end of the day, we really have no idea whether these different, you know, antiviral drugs that we're trying have any benefit. Um, you know, there'll be a small subset of patient population where they showed improvement where they were able to get off the ventilator in a shorter amount of time compared to other patients. But then you look at another hospital that, you know, kind of did a similar type study with these antivirals and didn't get the same results. So it hasn't been really consistent across the board with these antivirals that we're trying, but because we don't have anything else, we're, you know, we're kind of at a point where it's like, at least try something. You know, we've got to try some of these antivirals and, and just see because these people don't have any other options right now.
0: Now, were you trying hydroxy, uh, um, hydroxy uh, chloroquine, chloroquine at all?
1: yeah. Yeah, so uh, um, as of right now, all of our hospitalized patients um, are getting the hydroxychloroquine right now. Okay. <clears throat> if they're sick enough to be in the hospital, that means that they're having respiratory distress and not you know, being able to breathe on their own and require oxygen supplementation. And so we give them that medication as soon as they're admitted. Now, I mean, we've definitely had quite a few people die in the hospital. Um, the majority of people who end up having to go on a ventilator, unfortunately, end up dying. Um, But, you know, there has been a a small patient population that has been able to be discharged from the hospital after being admitted. But all of them got the medicine, so it's just so hard to say whether or not it worked or
0: not. Oh, wow. Wow. It's like a literal crapshoot. That's crazy, man. That's insane. Yeah. But you know, I really appreciate you know what, what what you've been doing, Rebecca. You know, I've always appreciated your passion for what you do. You know, for any young woman or young man that you know is is inspiring to be just like you and in a position like you. You know, could you really explain to them, you know, how you got to the the level of professional that that you've arrived to?
1: So you, you know, once you start volunteering in hospitals and, you know, being in the medical community um, as a student, you kind of learn quickly on whether or not that's really something you could see yourself doing for the rest of your life. And, you know, some people can hack it or they can't. And I just, I could never see myself doing anything else. I, I love it. And I know that there's a lot of risk involved, but, you know, this is definitely a very rare situation where, you know, we're seeing things that we've never really seen before. Usually it's not this scary and intense and just the feeling of being able to help people when they are at their absolute weakest moment is just the most, you know, gratifying thing I have ever experienced. And, people are not always grateful for it. You know, people are oftentimes scared and frustrated and upset that they're sick and not feeling well. And oftentimes end up taking it out on you. Um, but you just have to keep telling yourself that, you know, you're doing the right thing. You're out there helping people and you're making the world a better place. And so, it definitely makes you feel very good at the end of the day, regardless of what ends up happening.
0: We're talking to Rebecca Paul, Emergency Medicine Physician Assistant at St. David's Round Rock Hospital out in the Austin area. And, you know, Rebecca, I mean, you know, you you you, you went through a crazy struggle to get here, too. You know, you, you lived in New York essentially by yourself, you know, um, and you know you were a transplant you know you weren't originally from new york and you know it makes me proud to see that all the struggle that you've been through you know and you've become this amazing person with all this you know with all this knowledge and really a, a passion for it um is that something you try to you know uh rub off on your, your the your, the the people that that um you work with as well like you know like do you compare you know battle stories of how you got to where you got to just to keep yourselves you know at least you know a a little entertained while you're dealing with this craziness
1: yeah I mean I a lot of my colleagues um you know also have their their own personal battle stories of how they got to (laughs) where they are but um, Rebecca was my doctor, you know, by the way, any, for a
0: long time before I had a, any <laughs> health insurance or could afford any health insurance. Sorry, just had to say that. You know, you know, I,
1: I, I've been the provider for majority of the friends and family, uh, you know, just because it's really hard to access uh, medical care, especially right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, it it was, absolutely crazy. It was crazy just picking up everything and moving from San Diego to New York city. And, um, I was absolutely terrified when I first moved there, it was just like huge giant city that I felt like I was probably going to get swallowed whole, (laughs) (laughs) um, but ended up making it, you know, through PA school and, um, you know, working in the hospitals in New York has definitely been one of the best experiences in terms of, My strength as a provider, I know I got from working in New York City. That's a fact. Um, I mean, I learned so much. I worked in some of the busiest hospitals there. I worked on liver transplant unit at New York Presbyterian Hospital. And that is, you know, what made me the provider I am today. And so I just really, really feel for all of the healthcare providers in New York City. And just hope that everybody is trying to, you know, give their love and support to any healthcare provider in New York City because they need as much as they can get right now.
0: Now, what would you tell any of the students that have to take school loans to to do this kind of line of work? You know, would you tell them, "Look, it's worth it"? Would you tell them, "Like, nah, it's not worth the, you know, it's not worth the monetary investment"? Because that's an, another thing a lot of you know people worry about the monetary investment that you have to put in on top of the of the time and energy you have to spend to be to reach this level of success in this medical world. It's
1: absolutely worth every penny. I am still you know, over $100,000 in debt till this day. It's all good. And it's fine. I will continue to pay (laughs) off my student loans for the rest of my life. But it's the best decision I have ever made, worth every single penny. I, you know, definitely, there's better ways to go through school in a more, you know, less expensive fashion. I chose to go to New York City and live in one of the most expensive cities in the country. Um, but it was an amazing experience, but definitely worth every penny of the student loan. Well, I hope you get that off.
0: reprieve they're talking about. I think all healthcare workers involved in this should get uh, <laughs> um, uh, immunity from pay, <laughs> or uh, uh, they, they should get their student, <laughs> student loans, loans. absolved for sure. You don't think so? Like, come on, this is crazy. Instead of hazard pay, eliminate my student loan debt. I've I've grinded. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Especially for New York City healthcare workers. I think that all of them should not have to pay their students. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I agree. I'm going to start that wave. I'm telling you, I'm going to start the movement kind of for you guys, it. man. <laughs> let everybody know watch the yeah. Angel of Words podcast every single week I'm like hey everybody's student loan should be absolved and we're just gonna start a movement because this is insane yeah. you know you have ignorant people not giving yeah. a fuck it's you know and sorry for my French but it's just it's, I, it, I just don't comprehend it I've been quarantined myself for 65 days I don't leave my crib unless it's to shoot the show and the studio is not too far from where I live I don't see anyone and I do it at times where I know no one's gonna be outside side but this is absolutely ridiculous you're putting our health care workers at risk and if there is no ammunition in a war if there are no bullets if there are no guns if there are no resources guess what you lose the war and you lose the yeah. country and people really need to understand that this is not a political thing this is not an economic thing this is a public health so we can continue living the lives that we do and trying to achieve the goals that we want to achieve and making the money that we're crying about, you know? And one more thing, have, have they absolved, I'm not absolved, but have they given more for people that can't pay mortgages out there in Texas? I'm curious. They are, um,
1: they're doing like a different type of thing. I guess there's different options you can apply for to, um, either put your mortgage on hold and it doesn't accrue interest Yeah. Um, depending on your situation or they give you like a few months to where you don't have to make, you know, your rent or mortgage payments. So there's definitely been a lot of different options for people out here um, that have been struggling, which is a really nice thing. I don't know if they're actually doing that, you know, in other states as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We got a moratorium over here uh, lasting through the middle of August. But Rebecca Powell, look, I wanna say one thing. Winston Churchill said when you're going through hell, keep going through it and eventually you'll see the other side. Um, My prayers are with you. Thank you so much for the service. Thank you so much for the information and the knowledge that you dropped today on the Angel of Word podcast. You know, my, and give my best to every medical professional that you speak to. You know, let them know. You know, watch the podcast. If anyone wants to talk to me as well, and they, you know, they have, they want to, they want a voice for the people, and they feel frustrated about what's going on, they could always contact me. But I really appreciate you being on. Thank you for dropping the knowledge, love, and you know, I'll. Continue take you you're to keep welcome. a look at thank you you take care of yourself okay god bless you're very
1: welcome thank you so much okay
0: bye i hope you enjoyed my interview today with emergency room physician assistant rebecca vasquez and my people, like I said before, subscribe, hit that notification bell. Let us know what you're thinking. And if you want to listen to us, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can catch me and my shenanigans on social media at Angel Words ENT. Thank you for tuning in, my people.